uh, hey, what's up? It's five in the morning. I'm editing this podcast to put out in the next hour or so. However, just woke up, saw a tweet. Had to tell you guys about it just to give you the heads up. Um, it's April Fool's Day. All right. So I woke up like a half hour ago and I checked my phone and I saw Toei tweeted a thing. And I was like, oh, what's this thing? And it's Dragon Ball Super's returning in 2022. And for like 11 minutes, it was 11 minutes until I realized what day it was. And in that 11 minutes, I was like, oh, shit, man. It's going to be dope. Can't wait. 2022. Got to get another, got to get through another year of this hack bullshit of me not having anything to talk about, really. Or, you know, not really paying attention to things I should be talking about. Whoever you want to look at that. Before I uh, realized that it was uh, April Fool's. So, yeah, enjoy your April Fool's Day. Be on the lookout for everybody trying to deceive you because people are the worst. Uh, this episode's fun, though. Uh, Dragon Ball Super Chapter 70. Spoiler-free Godzilla versus Kong. I obviously complain about Justice League in the current state of my life at a certain points. Good time. Talk to you soon. Super dope. Welcome in, Dragon Ball Super Dope. My name is Kyle. Thank you for checking this out. We're going to be talking about Dragon Ball Super Chapter 70 for the manga this month, or really last month. Is it last month? It feels like last month. It's actually from two weeks ago. Uh, chapter 70, The Universe's Greatest Warrior. So I meant to put this one out last week. Ideally, we would have done the Patreon stuff with the gang and uh, in the middle of moving. Had a little bit of a moving emergency. Been a, it's been a long few weeks. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the breakdown of the manga I'm right up in the front in case there's any new people. Welcome in. I'm trying to be mindful of your time. Giving you the Dragon Ball analysis. For those of you who have been here for a minute, I'll, uh, you know, amuse you with my bullshit on the other end. All right? Word birds? Cool. Chapter 70, the universe's greatest warrior. So a lot of this chapter really just revolves around Granola and what his wish ends up being. So we all know that he wants to be the strongest in the universe. And we knew from the panel leaks the week previous, I, I want to say this came out on March 20th. We knew from the weeks previous that the dragon from these uh, from this set of two Dragon Balls gave uh, Granola, you know, there's a condition to this wish. Do you accept conditions? We did not know what the conditions are. When this chapter picks up this month, we're basically dropped right into the middle of that again. Um, you know, what are the conditions of this wish, though? We don't get to find out for a minute. We just know that Granola accepts the conditions and... Uh, he is powered up to a brand new level. Um, cuts away before we see, you know, what eventually transpires. But the next thing that we see is his interaction with Monaito. Uh, Monaito is the Aldernamic who made this set of Dragon Balls on this planet. And um, he obviously notices that Granola has become exponentially stronger. His hair is also visibly longer. Um... And this is an interesting interaction because even though you know that they have like this, this kinship, right? Like the lone survivors of each respective race on this one planet uh, who have, you know, taken refuge together, decided to live outside of the Shigarians and, you know, of the city and the civilization and live up on this mountain together. Um, for him to, you know, be almost frightened of, of Granola is definitely meant to you know, send you a message that maybe Granola is going down the wrong path here and he's not going to be in the right. And 
I mean, that's pretty much par for the course. I think that's what we all uh, would sort of expect this interaction to be. Like, you know, for somebody who who has loved and protected Granola the way this guy seemingly has, or at least the way the backstory is, you know, kind of uh, portrayed them to be, um, it, it makes sense for him to be like, oh no, what have you done? You've made a deal, you know, with the devil. Um, the, the, the notable part about it for me was as Alec, excuse me, as Granola goes off to go find, uh, Alec to get more information about the location of Frieza. There are two notable things about this interaction though, for me, you know, obviously we got the, you know, what have you done? You know, what kind of deal have you made? Do you know what you've done? And, and, you know, invoking the powers of the Dragon Balls, but then you also get Monaito. I, I keep wanting to call him Mutaito. Uh, you keep, you get Monaito, um, give him a warning of sorts and say, yeah, you know, you may be the strongest right now, but you do not know who or what tomorrow will bring. So sort of an ominous warning. I think that's something that maybe, uh, you know, for every villain that we've seen in Dragon Ball with the intentions of, you know, stealing the Dragon Balls and wishing for immortality or eternal whatever, um, you know, they never really consider that. That wish probably only makes them the strongest to exist at that moment. It doesn't necessarily keep them perpetually at the top of the power scale mountain. I know that's not something I've ever really considered, but given what this guy just accomplished with the Dragon Balls, being able to pull off a wish that we haven't seen many villains do in the past, um, I do feel like it's worth pointing out that, yeah, he may be the strongest at this moment in the continuity or this point in the story, however you want to lay it out, but... What's to say Goku or Vegeta or Frieza or anybody else won't be able to surpass him, you know, after their first encounter, they get a look at him, they see what they're dealing with, and, you know, Goku and Vegeta put a nose to the grindstone, train up, and are able to defeat him. So, I do appreciate that Monaito stops to point that out. Um, not always something I've I've considered as, a, as an audience member, just to be honest. Um, now, the other thing that he brings up at the end of this interaction is... Uh, Granola flies away, and his intention is to go find Alec, so that way he can ask him for the location of Frieza, because that's the end game here, right? We're trying to uh, basically just destroy Frieza and get the revenge that this guy has so wanted for so long. As he starts to fly away, we get um, Monaito. Again, I, I keep wanting to say Motaito. It's like one letter difference. It's actually kind of annoying. Uh, we see Monaito. <laughs> say to himself, I've upended the, his life once again. I've upended Granola's life once again. So, you know, maybe there's a little bit more to the Monaito backstory than uh, what we've currently been led to believe. Obviously, what brought him to this planet? Why did he make the Dragon Balls? Why was he the type of Namekian who could make the Dragon Balls? I don't think that's a very common thing for all Namekians. Just saying. Um, there's a lot more to see, um, you know, in, in terms of the history of Planet Serial. Um, and, and I guess, like, how the Shigarians come in and replace the Cerulean's, uh, it seems that he is tied to that in some such way. And maybe he, that's what drove him to, you know, protect Granola and work with him for all these years or whatever, or, you know, have a, a relationship with him for all these years. He feels guilty for having been associated or affiliated with, uh, the extension of Granola's people. So, uh, more to come, I guess. And that one, um, it's a very Granola heavy chapter, which, I mean, I kind of like, but like it's always nice if, you know, the majority of the chapter is not centralized on Goku or Vegeta these days for me. 
Um, if it's like old school Dragon Ball manga and we're reading like Little Kid Goku, you know, off on adventures fighting the Red Ribbon Army, give me that all day. But now, current days, Dragon Ball Super, anytime the story deviates from Goku being the central plot uh, character, the character in the central plot, it's, an, it's a welcomed break for me. However, with the Granola stuff this month, uh, they did a real nice job stretching out a lot of nothing. And, and maybe it's only because it felt like nothing because so much of what the panel, uh, you know, drafts give us, you know, the week before the full chapter drops, you know, they, so I, I say it each month, like they give you enough where you think you're going to know, you know, what's going to happen. And then they give you one little thing at the end that's a new in the chapter. And that's what compels you to continue to read month to month. Um, and that's fine. Like, that's, you know, very much par for the course for me. But they really like, you know, what's the obvious next step after he gets his power up? All right, he wants to exact his revenge. Okay, how's he going to find Frieza? He's going to take a step to go find Frieza. We got to be able to have him flex his powers real, uh, real quick. Be able to show that he's definitely powered up and he's no pushover anymore. What's the easiest way to do both things at the same time? Go visit Alec. And the Alec... Um, the battle with his henchmen, I think it's uh, I think it's Oil who starts it. He's the big boy. Cool little action sequence. Like Granola does some cool backflips, and he like, you know, snipers like a with his laser like a hole in the ground and drops big boy, and he comes up with the big slab of concrete. Like it, it, it's cool. Um, I believe the second person he fights is the the girl henchman. The girl henchman, henchwoman. Am I being sexist? She's so good at being a henchman, the girl is, that she's making me sexist. I think her name is Maki. Um, and then she's saved by, like, Gas, who's, like, the still-yet-to-be-seen power or henchman in that group. He's not Alec, but I would assume he's, like, number two to Alec for, for a reason. Maybe not quite as powerful as Alec. Maybe he's more powerful, but who knows? Um, the action sequences here were cool, but a, a little drawn out. Like, I didn't need... The girl to jump in and do her thing too. Like, you could have had gas uh, step in and save oil, and you know that would have been enough to illustrate the point. But you know, it padded out like another couple pages. So, um, it's just—I mean, that sounds really nitpicky and and complainy, but um, it's just a, an example of of what I'm saying here. Like, it in terms of moving the plot along, moving the story along they're more than happy to take their time where they can. And that's just a, a good example of such. So after it's clear that homeboy is definitely uh, rolling with a new set of power and he is a threat. Um, Alec, you know, Alex, <laughs> Elec, Alex, I can't believe I just did that to work with uh, granola and um, you know, says, we'll give you the location to freeze it when we can. We don't have it right now. You know, come back when we got it, we'll give it to you. But I'll only do that for you on the condition of you telling me how you've powered up like this in such a way. And, uh, you know, Granola, man of his word, apparently, steps right up, says, yeah, I used the Dragon Balls and uh, I did it on this condition. So uh, I don't have much time. They're like, what, what do you mean you don't have much time? What, what was the condition? And that's when the payoff comes. Um, we learn that in order for Granola to power up to the level that he has, he has essentially had to condense the rest of his natural lifespan 
into what will equate to the next three years, the last three years of his life. So he's now got, he's about 50 years old. His race typically lives to be about 200. So he's got another 150 years left, according to this conversation he has with Alec and the gang. And that's when we learn the condition of the wish. Um, I've, I've sacrificed that 150 years. And I, I think we're not exactly sure how this works, if we're being honest, this condition. But I think it's that it compresses like all of the power that he could have within that 150 years collectively into the power that he now will have access to over the next three years. Like, I don't think they explicitly say that. Maybe that's just like my own headcanon working right now. That's, that's likely what it is, is me just trying to make sense of it as I'm reading it. Um, but because it, I do remember that the dragon says something to the effect of, you know, removing your upper limits and your, um, yeah, unlocking your hidden potential. I think that's what we're looking for. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm rambly. Anyway, that's the reveal. Um, Granola just gave up 150 years worth of his life uh, for three years of crazy unbridled superpower that he thinks will put him on par with Frieza. So... Lek, now knowing that Granola is somebody who could probably, you know, disembowel him if he so chose to do so very easily. Um, he has to play the long game now, and he's, you know, basically sends Granola away, understands that it's going to be um, with, you know, the understanding that he he is on borrowed time. You know, he, he doesn't have all day to wait. He doesn't have a few years to wait around to see where Frieza emerges next and what the condition of the army is. He needs it to happen sooner rather than later. So, Alec, we kind of get the other side of his hand on this. And, he, you know, as we've talked about before, he definitely was somebody who worked hand-in-hand hand with Frieza in order to... He, he seemed like a middleman, like a broker type. You know, Frieza's army comes in and cleans out the planet. Alec finds a, you know, a, a person to buy it. He's like a buyer's agent, you know? The Shigarians were his buyers. Frieza was the seller agent. I'm just using real estate ana- uh, analogies here because... A, it kind of works. We are kind of talking about real estate. Uh, it is a fact that Frieza's uh, early ideas were based on you know, real estate developers in Japan. Toriyama's talked about that in interviews in the past. But seller agents, you know, after they clear out the planet and uh, get rid of the former inhabitants, sometimes it helps if you've got a seller agent to work with and they go out and they find the race uh, to you know, sell this new planet to. This recently um, cleaned out, cleared out planet. And that's what Alex's role seems to be. Now, I remember a few months back, I think it was one with Leonard. Uh, maybe it was with Marcus. I don't remember. But we talked about the idea of Alec working differently than Frieza and how he seems to be, uh, you know, like the work smarter, not harder uh, sort of approach, like small gang of, you know, highly trained fighters. He's got some servants and stuff. But, you know, he was interested in getting the OG-7-3 not to, you know, be able to clone him into his own army or whatever, but which, you know, still could happen. But at the time, we're led to believe it's because he just wants information. He just wants intel. Intel is power to a guy like Alec. So he now has kind of introduced the idea of him becoming, you know, taking over uh, Frieza's army. If he's able to defeat Frieza... Maybe he will, you know, be able to take over Frieza's army or the remnants of it. And, you know, then he will have the best of both worlds. He'll have this, you know, reconnaissance intelligence, you know, information gathering approach 
that he's used and been very successful with over however long he's been doing his thing. But now he also has the uh, resources at his disposal of, you know, the former Emperor Frieza. Um, however, he knows that Granola is going to be a threat regardless. Uh, maybe we can, you know, he, he basically needs to stall Granola. Like he's not ready to attack Frieza yet. It's too soon for him to, you know, try to do this plan of him taking over the Frieza army. So he knows Granola will be a threat in the meantime. So what is Alex's intention? It's, you know, he learned about the Saiyans from the intelligence in OG-73. His, his intention is to, you know, basically get Granola to fight the Saiyans, Goku and Vegeta. Uh, because, you know, that sort of fits the bill of revenge in this case. You know, he, he definitely has it out for Frieza, but he also kind of hates Saiyans too. So if he can't fulfill the fantasy of revenge with Frieza, you know, the best, the next best thing to distract him with is the you know, revenge on Saiyans, and that should buy him enough time to, um, I mean, not buy him enough time, but like def divert attention away from Frieza to be able to buy Alec enough time to pull together his, whatever his plan is to be able to overtake Frieza and his army. So maybe that's the late third act addition to this whole thing. Maybe much of what happens with Granola and the Saiyans is they do the fighty fight fight stuff, and um, at the end, they realize that, you know, Frieza and Alec are having a thing and they have to combine forces to defeat both of them at the same time. Something to that effect. Maybe, maybe Alec just gets super strong with an OG-7-3 army and then Frieza and Goku and Vegeta and Granola all have to join forces and Granola dies at the end. And then, you know, by the end of this arc, we're all back to the status quo. Frieza's still alive, being an evil asshole out in the universe, but was subjected to have to work with Goku and Vegeta yet again. <sighs> And then we just go right back to the status quo of waiting for the end of Dragon Ball Z and the relationship between Oob and Goku to start so we can finally move beyond this 10-year static time period that we've been stuck in for eight years now. I'm recording this on March 31st, 2021. Eight years ago today, my friends, Battle of Gods premiered in theaters. Um, we've been living in a Beerus and Whis world for eight years now. Isn't that bananas? I think that's pretty that's pretty crazy. Uh time flies when you're having fun. Except, you know, uh, I just like to complain, which I guess is fun. Sometimes sometimes people like to complain like that's how they they have fun. Um but with Alec needs control uh Frieza's army, he needs to bump off Granola. We're going to plan to pit him against Vegeta and Goku. I I do wonder um you know what exactly is going to like like, how does Alec plan to get those two to run into each other? Whis is very much in the know and is aware of what's going on with Granola because he's watching all of it happen, you know, through his staff or whatever. But Alec is, you know, he's a guy. Vast resources, I'm sure. I guess he's probably going to use the intelligence in OG-73's head to go to Earth, probably. Because uh, that'll be the best chance to... Oh, that'll be interesting. If, he, if that's the plan, right? How do you find the Saiyans? You go to Earth... I mean, isn't that essentially the start of, like, the revival of F again? Goku and Vegeta are off training on Whis's planet, and they can't get Whis a Sunday fast enough to get him to Earth within an hour, and so Krillin and Gohan and the boys have to fight the Frieza force by themselves. In this case, it would be, you know, Granola. Who's going to fight Granola on Earth right now? Gohan? Is this going to be your moment, Gohan stands? Also, what's going to happen with Bonito? How's he going to factor into the end of this? Is he going to make, like, 
a new set. He's going to die so that nobody can use the Dragon Balls again. He's going to make a new set of Dragon Balls. That's, that's a thing that people have done. Dragon Balls have been destroyed and made again. Hmm. Lots to consider, my friends. So, that's my Chapter 70 analysis. I haven't made an episode in like two weeks, right? Um, hope you enjoyed that Chapter 70 shit. Uh, very, you know, quickly done. I, um, I've read this chapter like three times now. Sat down to record it once before I moved. That's the thing, guys. I, I've been moving over the last couple of weeks. I'm doing this for, if it sounds weird or different today, it's because I'm, I'm in a mostly full room, but like I'm in a situation where not everything's set up and nothing's permanent at the moment. I'm just living out of boxes and bags and moving stuff around to find other stuff, to try to put stuff away, then to only be, you know, completely surrounded by new crap boxes and bags. So the new studio room is a slow work in progress over the course of this week. Also have been doing uh, the My Hero Academia stuff with Kelly. So getting that podcast, uh, those whatever, five or fucking episodes that we're launching with. Um, that's working on that as well. So between that and the move and just trying to keep up with everything, I'm living in a much different set of circumstances. All right, I'll talk about I'll talk about the, the new place in a minute. Um, I do know that some people had uh, asked me what I thought about Justice League. Um, here's what I thought about Justice League. I haven't watched it yet. And it, it it's largely because, you know, like I just said, all of those things, you know, I've been moving and I'm living out in the friggin' boondocks now and the boonies, whatever they call it, the boonies, uh, the sticks. And, um, you know, 40, it's like a, it's like a 35 minute trip to, from my apartment from here to there, uh, living on a farm these days. Right. So that's all a long way to say. I've just been so effing busy that I haven't had time to allocate four hours to sit down and do that. I do fully intend to do that. I just haven't had the time yet, but I promise you that I will. I do understand that it was phenomenal. People are very happy with how it came out, especially like Van Dan. First one to tell me, I told you so, Kyle. I don't know what you're trying to tell me. <laughs> I knew the Justice League that Joss did was friggin' awful. My problem with uh, the Justice League Zack Snyder stuff has never been about getting a better movie or not. Given enough time and resources, I assume anyone could make you know a, a, a more a, a more coherent film than that Justice League bullshit. Um, and Zack Snyder very definitively had a vision that he set out to make. So bringing him back was having the opportunity to bring him back was great. I never had a problem with him being able to complete his vision because the reason he was robbed of his vision was a lot of bullshit. You know, he had a, a terrible tragedy befall his family and that mixed with a greedy studio executive trying to make an extra $9 million on a, a yearly bonus. So he pushed the shitty Justice League out the door to hit that nine mil. It's the perfect storm to have a bad, you know, movie. That shit happens in Hollywood all of the time. It sucks that it happened to Justice League in 2017. That's never been my problem is him getting a second bite at the apple. It's how he got that second bite at the apple. I believe the phrase is, if you give a mouse a cookie, they're going to ask for some milk. I also believe the phrase is, uh, we don't negotiate with terrorists. This is what happens when you succumb to the pressure of an online social media mob like the Snyder Cut people were. Um, you... You know, we're given the opportunity to give it uh, or, or to get the product that you wanted. And you guys all seem to be very happy with, with how it came out. And that's dope, man. 
But when Warner came out and said, hey, this was a very special set of circumstances in which we were able to do this, um, we'll probably never look to do this. Like, we're not going to do the David Ayer cut of, of Suicide Squad where we're not going to do, you know, more uh, Superman or Batman movies set in the Snyderverse where, you know, we're done with this part of the DCEU. Not to say they couldn't revisit it, you know, down the road should some, you know, leadership figures change at those companies, uh, especially with all the multiverse stuff that, you know, both cinematic universes are establishing. It's going to be a very in vogue thing to do universe crossovers. Like a movie with two Supermen is within the, within the realm of possibility, and that would be so cool. But that's down the road, right? For For the reactionaries who were like, what do you mean you're not going to give us an automatic sequel on Justice League? That's going to make us go launch some kind of weird coordinated review bomb campaign against Godzilla versus Kong. Movie completely unrelated to any of what we're talking about, except that it's also a Warner Brothers property. But it's to, to what? To fucking flex your muscles on something that... What, like, understand that you already took the W on this. Like, you already got what you wanted. You got, you got the biggest of Ws in, in terms of fanboy history. You got exactly what you wanted. Um, delivered up by... Uh, you know, I, one of the biggest media companies in, in existence uh, in the history of the world. And they put hundreds of millions of dollars into making the thing that you harassed them on Twitter about for a few years a reality. And when it was deemed a success or good by you or whatever, I don't know if it's deemed a success by what HBO's expectations were in terms of like metrics. I don't know how that, um, I don't know if that exceeded their expectations or underwhelmed. I, I don't know. I think it was around. 1.8 million downloads or views of the movie within like the first 48 hours or something like i think that's success obviously that's successful to me but i don't know if that's successful um in the eyes of hbl max to to warrant um continuing on with this universe right that's one two is even if you guys did want it and you know wb was like yeah uh fine we'll, we'll we'll do it we'll let you guys bully us into making a justice league too with Zack snyder how do you know Zack snyder wants to do this anymore <laughs> like i know that he's got a pitch for what it would be like where uh superman's son grows up to be batman or whatever the fuck that crazy outside the box pitch was that w i mean <sighs> my the most annoying part of justice league for me personally was the lead up to justice league and reading a new headline each week from the crazy shit that Zack snyder with the new crazy shit that Zack snyder was saying basically every day every other day to get a headline it's like dude we get it your fucking movie's coming out please shut the fuck up about all this crazy fanciful shit that's never gonna happen that even if you had the opportunity to make it i'm kind of questioning if you'd even be interested in committing to staying in this world and doing it if you're willing to fight for Zack, Zack Snyder to get his sequel and he doesn't want to do it, like, what's your move then? Do you, do you harass Zack Snyder into making your next movie or do you guys go peacefully into the night and take your W finally? Because I don't think that's ever going to happen. Zack Snyder is a people pleaser by all accounts. Like, he's somebody that nobody has a bad thing to say about in Hollywood in terms of his personality. Like, he's, he's like a notorious nice guy in Hollywood. I don't think he would put himself in a position to have some very vocal fans like you Snyder Cut guys 
try to bash him online in that same capacity that you, you know, drug the uh, drag the, the Warner Brothers executives through for not giving you what you wanted for, you know, pushing out some shit and doing a, a typical movie thing. The other thing that I'll say about um, Zack Snyder, like if I'm going to invest four hours into this, that's fine, but I'm not going to invest four hours into it without saying this first. Um, any normal person would have either made this two movies, which I think was originally the plan. It was supposed to be a two-part movie, and then orig- and then eventually it was decided to be a, a one big movie. Right? Most directors would not have shot four hours worth of material to to make a to make a two-hour movie, and I don't mean like material like stuff that they edit from. Like that's a four-hour movie because Zach's story was four hours long. That is not a sign of a good storyteller to me. Just getting it out there, bro. If you can't follow a traditional three-act structure in a movie and you have to break it into your six chapters or whatever and make it a four-hour fucking marathon, maybe you maybe you could have gone back for the, the part one and part two thing, make it more palatable, more digestible. I mean, that's the thing, man. Zack Snyder made such a mess with what he was trying to do. He tried to do all of the things and then tragedy falls uh, upon his family. He has to leave the production. And Warner Brothers is still a business. They still have to get their shit out. And they're like, all right, well, how are we going to make sense of any of this? Let's pull in the one dude to this point who has made over a billion dollars on a superhero franchise and Joss Whedon and, you know, have him bring in some of his snark and his jokes or whatever. But like Joss Whedon being more of a traditional storyteller and like a, a less grandiose structure as Zach, Zach Snyder is somebody who definitely likes what he does. He had the impossible task of having to edit that thing down to two hours. And that was a shit of a movie. And Cyborg got the raw fucking deal. I get it. But my point is, I don't think I'm going to watch it, guys. So shut the fuck up. But I just, I think maybe you guys see the screen and you're visually, like, it's the same shit that I say about Demon Slayer sometimes. Zack Snyder is a visually impressive director he was put on this earth to be behind a camera 150 percent. he has found his calling in life and working in the film industry he was born to be put behind a camera but not in the capacity of a director he's the you know principal director of photography he's a dp he's got the eye for everything he makes everything look amazing and that's an important part of being able to tell a story on film, but it's not the only part. And for some people, unfortunately, Sucker Punch, great fucking example. Even I walked out of Sucker Punch like being like, oh man, did I like that? I think I did. Sucker Punch is a terrible fucking movie. Visually though, I mean, it's not just because it's full of hot chicks and stuff. Like it is the action scenes in that movie, the aesthetics of the world they're in, fighting those robot cyborg Nazi fucking things, the 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 in shots of like the asylum and like all the the terrible shots of and briefness of reality that you get in between these weird dream sequences they have you know that all happen before the ultimate reveal at the end of the lobotomy like I did walk out of Sucker Punch thinking I think I liked that movie and then I went to see it again and I was like yo this movie's actually pretty bad like now that I don't have as big a crush on this Daisy character this movie's actually again it's it's pretty to look at the action scenes are cool. Not a very good movie. I understand that a lot of people have hitched their identity to making the Snyder Cut happen. 
And now that you did have it happen, you don't want to see it go, so you may as well double down and go for the Snyder Universe or whatever the fuck. Um, I, I just don't know how people quantify or you know uh, justify their existences based on such menial uh, identity traits or or whatever. I wish y'all luck. I I hope this film is worth the time. I I do imagine it's probably gonna feel like a slog because four hours like i have a tough time it's just because I, i'm like a smoker and I, I get up and you know stand a lot because my back issues or whatever like i have a tough time watching like a fucking hour-long television show sometimes four hours oh my god Ugh. anyway um i guess that's all i want to say about justice league i just i uh, even if i even when i watch it i probably will not do a pod about it i don't want to talk to any all about it I don't think it's going to be as good as you guys think it was. I understand that's bias on my part. But I also understand that the critics who are praising it the most, and critics I mean voices in our fandom, are the people who lobbied for it the hardest. And you people have every vested interest in making sure that movie is perceived as the greatest achievement of all time because that achievement is, makes up so much of your identity and your self-worth at this moment. Pat yourself on the back now. Enjoy the movie. Stop harassing people. And Zack Snyder, not that you'll ever hear this, but like maybe somebody you know wants to pass the message on to him in some way, shape, or form, maybe down the line. Zack Snyder, tell your people to cut it the fuck out, please. Let them know you've got other things to do and you don't just want to make them Batman movies for the rest of your goddamn life. That'd be dope. That'd be fucking dope. I mean, I understand you won't do that because then maybe they'll harass you and then you will not be their savior. Like, rock in a hard place. You guys don't negotiate with terrorists. Don't give them out a cookie, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Can't believe you all decided to try to take it out on my boy, uh, Big G. Not very cool of you. I did watch Godzilla and Kong uh, versus Kong this morning. Uh, I'm going to give you a quick spoiler-free thing because I, I, later next week, I think uh, we'll have Brandon on to do um, Godzilla vs. Kong and talk about it in full. But the um, spoiler-free, quickly, before we wrap this up there, um, definitely feels more like a King Kong movie. King Kong, there's, there's a lot of King Kong in this movie, um, which is fine if you're a Kong fan. You know, you're going to get your money's worth. Kong is very much the emotional center and the heart of this movie. It's what makes the movie work for me. It's what makes it work for me, honestly. Um, lots of good emotional scenes with King Kong, and that's what makes the movie. Um, I don't. I don't want to say worth watching. Like I turned this thing on to watch big monsters smash the shit out of each other, but the uh, it gives it a little bit more depth, I guess. Uh, is, is watching the struggle of what King Kong's arc looks like. Um, Godzilla, not enough Godzilla, man, and I know when the trailer came out, there was lots of theories about like. If Mecha Godzilla factors in, and if he does, is it this aircraft guy? Is it this aircraft scene that they we see him fighting? Like, and if it's not, it's that. I, I don't know, man. Like, I guess maybe the theorizing ruined it for me a little bit because I thought I had it figured out, and uh, they did something a little bit the other way, and I was like, well, that doesn't make as much sense as my version in my head, you know? Like uh, the same kind of stuff that we all did with WandaVision. You know, we we think we've written up this big grand ending and at the end of it it's like yeah nah i got this thing that's much less cool we'll talk about it more with brandon next week but the action scenes were really really cool 
it's it felt it felt more like a, a sequel to Kong Skull Island than it did to Godzilla King of the Monsters, though. I think is uh the best way for me to um to say my my thoughts on the it was fun, you know. That's my thoughts on the movie though without spoiling anything. Um Falcon Winter Soldier, what that shit's gonna be really fun. First two episodes are out. I don't think we're gonna be covering those like we did WandaVision, but maybe once all six episodes are wrapped up or you know, maybe we'll do like a halfway check in point after this week's episode. Maybe I don't I don't know. Uh, maybe we'll do something leading up to the finale with Ant. Maybe I, too many podcasts going on right now. Um, I'm thoroughly enjoying Falcon Winter Soldier. Bucky Barnes is like the saddest, most tragic hero. I swear. Like Wanda Maximoff, you know, gives him a run for the money in the slash, you know, Wandavision. But Bucky Barnes is making a case. Uh, lots of sad stuff, and like the dynamic between him and Sam, him and Sam is just always so funny. It's never not going to be entertaining to watch like even when they're not busting each other's chops and making fun of each other like they've got an interesting partner dynamic where they know each other and trust each other enough to like you know rely on each other in the field you know even though they'll they make fun of each other as they're doing it it's it's fun um so yeah falcon winter soldier maybe we'll do some stuff on that in the next few weeks we shall see my hero academia is likely what you're going to be getting next week um, some kind of compilation of what me and Kelly have been up to. We did our season recaps and we just did uh, episode one of season five earlier tonight. So that one, uh, that feed should be up early next week. Wish I hadn't planned. I, I didn't plan to move when I did, but you know, kind of happened when it did. And so did the season of my hero. So not great timing, but I going to have that stuff up by next week. Those first four or five episodes. Um, but yeah, next week you'll have a compilation of some of my favorite clips from that. What else? Move to a farm. I live on a farm now in the middle of nowhere. There's cows. No, there's no cows. Do we have cows? No. We got goats and sheeps and chickens and rabbits and ducks. Three-legged dogs. Um, it's different. I don't think there's any restaurants that deliver to my house. Whereas the last place I lived, I lived 30 seconds around the corner from my favorite bar and across the street from a convenience store and walking distance of basically everything in town. So it's a little weird. Um, I grew up in this farmhouse place, so it's a little weird to be back home and essentially what were my childhood bedrooms uh, that have since been converted into a third floor apartment, like an in-law apartment, Uh, living with my my elderly grandparents from Portugal who do not speak English. So I'm learning lots of Portuguese, or I should say I'm relearning and trying to get better at. It's certainly frustrating to not be able to freely communicate what you are trying to ask or say because you don't know the right words or right verbs or whatever. Um, but trying to overcome some of that general frustration in my first week and get, you know, this place set up and situated. So it's functional. Again, we can get back to, you know, making episodes on a regular basis, uh, doing streams like Twitch streams, uh, still doing the Pokemon blue stuff on Fridays. I don't know if we're doing one this week. I don't know. We do do one. It'll probably just be me because all my friends help me move out here. And when we pulled up to my house and loaded up, uh, unloaded the first car full of shit, they were like, wow, Took us like 30 minutes to get here, man. It was nice knowing you. I know they said it as a joke, but like, eh. 
they, they said it as a joke because they kind of weren't joking. It is kind of a, a drive out into the middle of nowhere. Like it, it's, it's the sticks, dude. So yeah, overcoming that, not overcoming, getting used to that, getting acclimated to that. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm definitely rambling now. So if you have already tuned out, that makes sense. Um, real quick, fuck you, Matt Gates. Matt Gates is a congressman from the state of Florida. Apparently, you know, bringing 17 year old girls over state lines to be their sugar daddy or whatever while he's off doing his political stuff. Also somebody who uh, aligned himself very favorably with the Trumps and uh, the Q movement and the Save the Children movement and all that. So I only point that out to say uh, quite ironic that... Is it ironic though? I mean, it's kind of expected with this fucking... These people. They 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 do... They, they call people the insult that they are afraid... That they are afraid to be them called themselves. So when they say that, there's a bunch of liberal pedophiles and some kind of elite you know pizza gate style situation it's because in reality he's sending pictures of his dick to 16 year old girls and trying to fly them out to get them to blow them at fucking hotel rooms fucking almost 40 year old man you know like that's why he he threw himself behind the queue and everyone's a pedophile movement because he himself is projecting and is actually legally legal definition a pedophile. So, fuck you, back gates. Hope you burn in hell. Um, you are literally every single douchebag preppy kid I went to high school with who would be known to maybe have date raped a girl at a party. So, fuck you. Hope you go to jail. And uh, it's gonna do it for Super Dope this week. Um, next week you'll probably get the My Hero compilation stuff. Week after that, maybe Godzilla versus Kong. I don't know, man. It's just, we're playing it by ear. If I make an episode each week at this point, we're, we're fucking lucky. Uh, Alright, so it's gonna do When will the next episode be? I don't know, but probably next week. <laughs>